Kevin, for sharing that. Take your Bibles. Guess where we're going to be? First Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 12. And so you're not distracted. I'm not going to explain what happened to my hand, but my family wasn't surprised. And Alan won the prize because I was going to do a Napoleon where I just kept my hand in my shirt so you wouldn't notice. And so I had it in my coat today, but Alan noticed, and so you can ask Alan afterwards what happened. So anyway, so we don't have 50, uh, but my family wasn't surprised, and I'm okay, and I'm going to live. So, all right, we are going to look today again, uh, I entitled this sermon, Honor. And uh, I feel that in society today, we have a lack of honor. Uh, a lack of teaching honor or respect or things that are going to be something you value in your life. We're honoring things, but we're not honoring things that are honorable, that should be the focus of our life. And so the question I want us to ask today, are you living an honorable life? That's a really deep question and to think about. And um, a lot of you know I'm a police chaplain uh, volunteer, and, and before I was with the Springfield PD, I was with the Joplin PD, and so the things that have happened in Joplin have really hit home for me because most of the chaplains are still there, and like I told them, I hurt for you and you're my people, and, and to have one officer die, but to have two and, and one wounded pretty bad, and people that you know in the department is a horrible thing. Um, and as if you looked at the pictures on the news of the various uh, funerals and, and things that they've had to honor, we've seen fire departments, police departments, even from our local area come and stand by the road. And if you've ever been to the, which you, it's not something you want to do, but been to a funeral of somebody in the military or a police officer, um, it amazes me the fact of that people will stand on the side of the road I've seen construction workers get out of their car, stand at the side of the road with their hand off, hand, with their hat off, and show respect and honor as that processional went by. There was one of the pictures from the Joplin PD, and again, I kind of wrote this sermon before uh, we went to Wyoming and uh, uh, with our kids as they moved there, and I wanted to insert a picture, and it was of a, a kid holding a sign in the processional as uh, they were, an officer was going on, by in order to be buried. And I know the kid. His name's Brody. And Brody's grandfather is one of the reasons I'm still in ministry, uh, Gary, good friend of mine who helped me through some dark times that I, that I went through. And Gary was a fellow chaplain with the Joplin PD. And Gary died. And I remember his funeral processional. The police were there. It was literally a mile long. And the honor that they gave chaplains, I don't mean this in a bad way, don't worry about us, but that we're a part of that police family. And so when I saw the picture of Brody, his grandson, standing there to honor this officer, just blew me away. That's honor. That's one way of honoring, showing respect and teaching that. But we're going to go a little bit different, uh, a little bit deeper today. You, you ask the question, what are the honorable things in life? And life feels so unstable, doesn't it? And one, you'll hear about something that seems honorable, and suddenly there's this, this tragedy or something that kind of taints it. And we have a struggle to, to, what are the things I should stand on? 
What are the people I should honor? What is permanent in this fleeting, unstable world, which it's always been unstable because this is not our home. And we can choose to honor temporary lesser things or we can choose to honor eternal godly things. So the question I have for you today, how committed are you to honoring Christ in a world that is increasing in dishonoring Him? Let's chew on that one. This is the key question you need to think about today and this week. How committed am I to honoring Christ in a world that is increasingly dishonoring Christ? Here's your action step, and those on Wednesday night know you got the sermon, you can go to sleep, but pass, uh, pass through life, honor Christ. Pass through life, honor Christ. Yes, I put a comma there. And we're going to spell out your points today, the word pass, P-A-S-S. And so we look at 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through, through 12, and you, you look at the last thing we preached about, and I appreciate Kevin uh, filling in. He did a great job, and uh, a couple weeks before what I finished preaching on was he, uh, uh, Peter was telling the, the believers that were suffering for their faith, he was encouraging them, he's saying... You know, this is who you are now in Christ. You're a uh, uh, priesthood, you are saved, you're blessed, and this is who you used to be. And so you are, and then he ends at the verse before in 10 saying, you have received mercy. And so now we get into verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles and to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Beloved, looking at the definition there, one saved by Christ, one that's favored by God, that's received His grace, one whose life, heart, and mind, and soul are, founded on, are, are focused on their forever home. Isn't that a neat term, beloved? We don't hear that much, but God calls those that have made that choice to be chosen beloved. And we're in a world that increasingly wants you to feel unloved or to be loved by lesser things. And so as a Christian, I want you to know you're His beloved. And that's a positive. We're objects of God's immeasurable love. And so if you're secure, just like a little kid, that they're secure, that their mom and dad loves them, and they're fearless in that, you know, and as long as mom and dad's around, they know that they're protected, they know that they're provided for, they know that they're loved, those that have known that, the object of God's immeasurable love, our duty is to obey the one who loves us. And again, we don't obey God to be saved, to stay saved. We obey God because we love him. Anybody that's been in any kind of uh, marriage relationship or relationship, you do a lot of things that look silly to other people or you're like, really? But you do it for that other person because you love them and you know that they love you. We obey God because He knows the best for us and because He loves us. God's beloved are worthy of love because of Christ. Notice He uses another word, urge. That means to strongly encourage us. To, to, give back to, God, to give back to God by giving to God. Think about that. We can't pay God back. He doesn't want us to pay Him back. But now we are loved and we are secure in God, and so we can give back to Him. He needs nothing of us. We get to walk with God and fellowship with God. And so this is where you start. You're loved 
You're secure. Obey me. Give your life to me. This is why we talk about when we get saved that we make Christ our Savior and He begins to be our Lord where we give back and we follow Him. Now he uses a couple of words, and again, I got ahead of myself. I wasn't listening to Kevin too much Wednesday night when he said, yeah, we're caught up, but we're caught up now. You're actually getting, we would be doing this this Wednesday night, but I'm going to throw a curveball and we'll do it. Easter lessons before Easter and then we'll get back because I, I got to be ahead of you. You know how it is. And those of you on Wednesday night know what I'm talking about. The rest of you just go in one ear and out the other, okay? But we talked about strangers and exiles and a sojourner is a stranger. And I want us to understand we're in a society now where we want to be different, but we don't, that strange is okay to an extent, but we really, especially as Christians, don't want to stick out. None of that's right. None of that's biblical. None of us want to be noticed and most of the time. B says you're a sojourner. You're a stranger. And then he goes on. These are not positive words when you start thinking about it, but we need to embrace it because this is who we are as Christians and what he calls us to do. Exiles. Where we see Ukraine right now, the amount of exiles. And I'm sure we'll probably see some around here. And there's opportunities to, to give and safe ways to help people with that. Our, our association put out that, that uh, there was a need to bring you, uh, Ukrainians here and, and that the cost of it. And that there, if churches want to uh, help with that, they can. But we don't think of exiles as a positive thing, a pilgrim, a stranger alongside the house, not inside, but alongside, think about that, a visitor traveling through a country and making a brief stay. And the older I get, the more it's like, I don't want that to change. I don't like that. Let's put roots down or stop changing and all that. Do you realize how unbiblical that is? And I was going to say how much as we're older that we're being butts. I mean, I shouldn't say that, undifficult. It's not that you should change on the things of God, but we forget this world is not our home. Strangers, sojourners, exiles. Being strange means we, we should live a life set apart from the world with our attitude and our actions. How is a dying, lost world going to know and taste Christ if we taste like everyone else? If we look like everyone else, if there's no difference, Psalms 34, 8 really sticks out to me a lot. Taste and see for the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If, there, if we're not strangers, if we're not aliens, if we're not exiles, how is a dying world going to taste God? Being strange means, again, like I said, we should live set apart. And we know what the word set apart means, holy. Doesn't mean perfect, but different from the world with our attitude. A lot of times we can act right and have a bad attitude. That's my issue a lot. My attitude stinks a lot of times. I can just gloss it over a lot of times. But God's trying to get to the heart issues with me. It's like, really? You can sit there and fake through that and, hey, I think you should start your way with an action, you know, and let the feelings come later. But you know what? We should be different in our attitudes and we should be different in our actions. Living in, a pl- uh, living in a place that is not our home as a visitor. So your first feeling, the only way to pass through life and honor Christ is as a pilgrim. Get your little black hat, put your little white collar on. No, I'm not talking about that. This world is not our home. 
This is not my permanent place. Put your John Wayne on and let him call you a pilgrim. Some of you will get that. Just passing through. That also doesn't mean, well, I don't want to get involved in that because I'm, I'm glad I don't live here. I'm just passing through. No. You love people, and as you're passing through, he's go God's going to give you opportunities, but this world is not your home. Which, require, uh, which, uh, which requires us to be strong enough in the Lord to say no. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm a pilgrim, I'm just passing through, and if you're supposed to be a stranger, an alien, and, and to be God's child, then we're going to have to say no to a lot of stuff, and yes to a lot of stuff. But look at verse 11, and, and look at the, the next part here. Beloved, I urge sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain. A lot of times we think of that when we're in court. I'm not going to answer that. I abstain, but let's look, refrain, and a better definition is put away. Think about it. God's saying you're to be different. A world needs to taste you in, uh, needs to taste God in you. And so that difference means you don't do a lot of the things the rest of the world's doing. You put away, the, notice what he says here, the passions of the flesh, the fleshly lusts, the evils of our sin nature. Uh, we are driven by the fact, well, if it feels good, do it. But God knows better, and he knows if we're led that way, it'll eventually destroy us in a lot of ways. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, you might want to write that down and look at it. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, talks about the passions of the flesh. And they're not just sexual sins. So many times we look at the word passion and we look at it as a negative, but then we have you know, the, uh, the, the Easter plays that are called passion plays, and passion can be a good thing if it's for the right thing. And we need to put God first and have a passion for Him. And so many times when we think of the passions of the flesh, we just think of sexual sins. I'm going to read this list, and you can go over it this week. It's Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. starts out sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, not me, huh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if we haven't struggled with anything on that list, you're lying, so you are. Okay? But notice what he says. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that we won't struggle with it, but is that who you are and what's in your life? Is that something you struggle with or is that a pattern? And that's Galatians 5, 19-21, but as I look at that list, probably only three of those deal with sexual sins, but a lot of them, if we look those, look those words up, and we may look at that uh, Wednesday night and unpackage that so we can understand the, the sins of the flesh, because that, that's a lot of words there to look up, but, hmm, idolatry, putting something before God, dissensions, division, that never happens in a church. Envy, and the difference between envy and jealousy and drunkenness. And, and then he throws in things like these. So it's not just specifically on that list for those of you that are OCD and legalists. It's the fact, well, if it's like it, probably shouldn't do it. 
It's a desire of the flesh. We are to put away and, uh, because of who we, because we're at war. You're saved and you enter war. Has God won? Yes. We are dealing with skirmishes, but Ephesians 6 says our, uh, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the, the principalities of this present darkness. And we need to understand we're at war. And we need to understand we are soldiers, as 2 Timothy talks about it. And, and 2 Timothy talks about a soldier doesn't pay attention, I'm abbreviating, but doesn't pay attention to the things that are going on, but they pay attention to their commanding officer, which is Jesus Christ. This is the problem. Now, you don't, go, you don't need to go around in fear because God's not giving us the spirit of fear. You don't need to go around being hunched down because we know God wins, and if God is for us, He can be against us. But we need to understand we are at war. And if you're a Christian, Satan wants to bench you because you're dangerous for the kingdom. He doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you following God. He doesn't want you standing out. Because it's a war for the people around you, their soul. And their soul is so valuable that God gave His Son for their soul. And Satan wants to see people go to hell. And he wants to see Christians not take seriously that the only reason we're still here is we're in a war that God has won, and our job is to tell people that they can be free. And so these desires, you understand... What happens if you, and again, I really think we'll look at that on, on Wednesday night, but that huge list in Galatians chapter 5, do you realize how if Satan can get you distracted of what you need to be doing with those desires and he benches you, he's winning on the fact that there's another Christian that is not getting the gospel out there? You need to realize that he's, he, he is constantly trying to look at your life and how to derail you. doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. We're talking about your witness and your assignment. And so waging war at the heart of our soul, believers, carrying a, this, and this term waging war means carrying out a long-term military campaign. So until Christ comes and makes it right or you go with him, this is a long-term military campaign. I'm hoping with Ukraine that they get war out. I'm hoping that it changes. We're at a month so far, but we're talking about what we're dealing with spiritually. This is a long-term military campaign, and we act, and a lot of us haven't been in war, and we need to understand it's a little bit different what they're dealing with over in Ukraine on how they wake up in the morning and the things they do and what they're aware of. But yet spiritually, how do we do, Christians? We're in a long-term military campaign. We're at war. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness. People are not our enemies. Satan is. And I am not going to take Satan on on my best day. No, it's the name of Jesus and the power of his blood, and I'm running that way. You know what I'm saying? But we need to understand we're at war. How? How do, we, how do we live this war? When we, when we don't fight, our focus is off Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 says this, For I decided to concentrate only on Christ Jesus and his death on the cross. When we're not focused on the fight and we're not focused on Christ, uh, we turn our hearts from the heavenly to the earthly, and Satan wins. We're not looking to God, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're looking at the desire or that distraction and we, got, we get off task and we get off mission. 
Your next fill in. If we're going to pass through life honoring Christ, we have to abstain. Put away all the sin that so easily trips us up. Well, I've got a ton of scriptures underneath that. You know, he talks about that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is just what I quoted. That's a good one to look at. Uh, put it away, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in us, giving us the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And Philippians 3.13 and 14, talking about forgetting the past and pressing on towards the mark, which is the high calling in Christ Jesus. Kind of leaning towards, man, we may need to get into Philippians as a book study eventually because a lot of good stuff there. These are all scriptures I've had to learn to focus, to do what God wants me to do. If we're saved, why would this matter so much? I'm saved, so why do I need to abstain? We've got a lot of Christians like that. I'm free! I'm free! I'm free! But you're spitting on God by staying in your junk, and those of you who know Andy Griffith, you're Otis. The cell door's open, but you go on in and eat Aunt B's good food instead of God telling you, get out of that cell and keep walking away from that and live that new life that he gave you in Christ. In order, in order to really reach people for Christ, we can't live a life, uh, we, we, we can't live, we got to pass through this life. Uh, we, another, I had this written down, I'll get it here in a minute. In order to really follow Christ, we can't just pass through this life undetected. Some of you want to be undercover secret Christians. Okay? And God never told us to. You don't have to sit there and force, thing on, force things on people, but you know when that conversation comes up, and you know when it's spiritual, and you know when it's time to stop being undercover. And what do you do with Matthew 5.16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And what do you do with that, that little children's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You don't do this by you abstain, you put away, and you show that there's a difference in your life. I'm not perfect. Yes, I struggle with these things too, but God is more important than that desire. So Peter commanded Christians to keep their daily living, their conduct at a high standard. We don't like this because we just love, I'm saved, I'm saved. And you're talking about works, and if I, if I have to obey and do right, it's a love relationship. You're free. You're just being selfish and a little baby when you don't obey God. I'm talking to myself too. And the original sin is our sin nature. Look at verse 12. So he tells them to, to abstain. He tells them to reflect God. Keep your, and then we get to 12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep. That means to hold closely. So a lot of times we don't worry about how we act. Or we may feel a little guilty afterwards and we don't maybe go to that person and say, hey, I was wrong. Hey, we need to err on the side of love here. We need to keep short accounts. If God lays something on your heart, you need to deal with it. Keep those short accounts. You'll sleep better at night. All those things. And some people may say, well, I didn't notice that you were mad because I've spent a lifetime being able, as a passive-aggressive person, a sarcastic passive-aggressive person, I've spent a lifetime of being mean and people not realizing it, but I knew I was. And when I go back and say, hey, I was wrong, forgive me, they're like, I didn't notice anything. But you know what? I did. 
and I knew. We've got to keep our conduct. We've got to keep short accounts. That means to hold closely at hand your personal conduct, your behavior. And notice, a lot of us know how to act right, but our attitude, I was going to say, sucks. We'll say stinks for some of you. That's me. I, and, and, and guys, I'm a Christian. I love God. I'm trying to be real. And I share with you because I know most of you are dealing with this stuff. You're just not going to talk about it. But none of you act right but have a bad attitude, do you? Husbands, I'm sure your wives can answer that one. You know, uh, Don't you answer for your wife. You'll get in more trouble or something like that. But you see what I'm saying? I did the right thing, but my attitude stunk. God wants it all. Because we're talking about the heart and the soul. We need to... Because think of a lost world. A lost world can see your actions, but people can read body language. They can read tone. And I'm so sick. I, I'm thankful for texting, but the whole, the whole language of you yelled at me, I just put a cap. I, I, I'm sorry. I forgot. And there was one time I answered back a, a, a text okay, and they said, are you mad? It's like, how can you tell if I'm mad or not from okay? All right? You're supposed to do thumbs up. We're okay, all right? But here's the deal. We've got the, a lost world can really tell. I, I do not have a poker face. I really do try what you're seeing here, what you're seeing in the parking lot, what you're seeing in my house, there's not going to be much different, okay? But the lost world can tell in our tone and our manner and all these things. And so this is why I'm really hitting on this. In my life, my actions have been great, but my attitude has stunk a lot. And that's a heart issue. We have to, how do you live your, uh, how you live your life among the Gentiles? That word Gentile, when we originally look at it, that's all those that weren't Jews. But what it's talking about here, the nations, the world, where you live. And so he's saying, let your conduct, how, your behavior, your actions and your attitudes among the lost be honorable, worthy of praise. That's what that means. Now, it doesn't mean you go around, I want to be so good to these lost people and anybody around that they're just going to praise me all the time. But what's interesting, when you do what's right, and we're going to get into the fact that even when they slander you and try to say another thing, your life has done something consistently that even though they may be lying, they see, huh, they've always treated me with kindness. They've always told me the truth, but they've been loving. They've always shown up. I was reading, I think I shared it uh, on Facebook, but I was reading an article and, 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 um, about witnessing, and it was really laid out very well on how the lost see us. My son, uh, my oldest son, has uh, taken a ministry position in Wyoming, and it's right in the middle of, of Mormon country. And so we all, the, it's amazing to me how Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, not trying to be mean about it, they're a lot more committed and nicer people, but it's a cult. And the reason it's a cult is when you get Jesus wrong, it's a cult. It's Jesus plus nothing. I could get into the details of how they get it wrong. It's not about Russell, but I'm talking about the Bible. But it's a cult. But what we know, I mean, I live out in the middle of nowhere, okay? 
And you're all going to come back. We're going to do some kind of stuff out the farm. And you've been out. It's been a few years, but we're getting over this COVID thing. We'll get out there, have a good time. But the Jehovah's Witnesses have showed up out there. Mormons haven't been there yet. It's okay if they don't come. But, you know, what we, what we see here, it, when we look at this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak bad of you, I gave you a definition of, of why the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. And when you think of the, them coming to you, they're not coming to just eat cake at your house. They're trying to tell you about something. And Heather almost got me a good deal on Suits. She was out there watching TV. And they were saying, hey, we're running a special deal on missionary uh, suits. And so Kevin and I could have got good Easter suits until she realized it was a Mormon deal. <laughs> so I guess we would have black suits, white ties, and I mean, I mean, white shirts and the black tie, okay, whatever. So we didn't get those suits. We could have all had matching suits for that. But when I looked at this definition of when they speak bad of you, it helped me finally understand when the Mormons are coming over, they want something. They don't even care if you respond. They need to check off their list that they talk to you. And so we all have known that about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness, but now let's get into Christians in our society today. And this goes back to the article I posted. Yes, I went way around on this one, but we're bringing it back to the, back to the barn, okay? The article was talking about that's the way a lot of loss feel about Christians now. Oh, you're just being nice to me to invite me to church. And then you're going to tell me about your faith, and you really don't care about me. I always thought that about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, but here's a splash of cold water on your face. That's the way society looks at us as Christians now. And the article was really good. It gave three, I think, things on the fact of just build a relationship with them, love them, and then when you have those moments, yes, are we, is every relationship to get to the gospel? Most definitely. But a lost world now sees us, dumps us in, in the same group where Oh, it's just that Christian. They want to invite me to church. They don't really care about the fact that I've been in the hospital or I can't meet my bills or I'm their neighbor. They're just trying to get me to church. And those are good things. And I want you to invite people to Easter. And we want to do these things. But we got to build the relationships. And that's what that section is saying right here. That So that when they speak against you as evildoers, you need to understand when society hears the word Christian, they go a list on all this false stuff that they're getting out there with the media. But you as the neighbor, if they've seen you care and you love them, that when they see these evil, slanderous, false things, they're like, well, that's not my neighbor. That's not my coworker. That's what it's meaning there. That's, that's why people watch what you do more than what you say. And when you mess up, you deal with it. Consistency, not perfection, is what we need to be about. And so that's what it's talking about today, is even when they dump you in with all whatever they think about Christians, how have you treated them? How have your actions? How are your attitudes? And notice the, the goal that they need to be honorable, worthy of praise. And you can go to Philippians. Again, Philippians, a lot of stuff. God's, uh, you, you go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Do they see things that are lovely, things that are fine, things that are gracious, noble, honorable? And because that is the word, what it means, the excellent things of God. Are they seeing a loving 
gracious, noble, honorable person. Again, did not say perfect. And the question is why? Why are we acting right? Why, why are we being consistent? Notice the, the, the last part that we see here, that even when they speak against you, go on, that, that God is glorified on the day of visitation. So they see your good deeds. Again, Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says we're saved by grace, not by works. And then you go to 10, that we were designed for good works to glorify God. Good works are not bad. We, don't good work, we never do good works to be saved. We never do good works to stay saved. We do good works because we are saved. And that's why we can come along and give money through safe places to the Ukraine to help people. That's why we physically can help people. But when they speak, so that when they see you, they only speak of the goodness of God, his moral goodness, his ethical righteousness, his worthiness, the beautiful things about God. Those whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely. Think on these things that Philippians talks about. And so you go back there to the last part of 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds, and then we'll see the end part, glorify God on the day of visitation. So see how this works? Do what's right. Be honorable among the lost, so that when they speak bad of you, they're like, that's not my neighbor. Because you realize how many stories I hear of when I say I'm a pastor or I invite people to church or something like that. Well, I had this deacon once, or I had this pastor once, or I had this church member once. Build a bridge and get over it, because when push comes to shove, you're not going to be able to blame anybody for the choice that you stopped to, be, to sin and not fellowship with God's people. Because Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling yourselves together even more as you see the day approaching. And then what do you do with the great commandments? Mark 12, 30 and 31, love God. Everybody wants to love God. And we're dealing with a generation of church members that are de-churched, that are sitting at home. And I'm not trying to be mean. I don't care where you go to church because the church is the body of Christ as long as they're solid and Bible believing. But you are in sin. And it's an excuse because then you're ignoring Mark 12, 30, and 31. Look it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Hmm. And the second commandment is just as important as this. Love your neighbor as yourself. God designed you to love God and love people. And we need each other. And yes, I'm passionate about it because I'm not mad at the people that are dealing with that. I'm, Satan is lying to them and saying, I can do church on my own. No, you can't. Because church is not a service. It is the body of Christ initiated in Acts, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm worked up on that one because we need each other. And I want you to understand what the devil does. He isolates us, and he gets us off the path of what we need to be doing. And this is what we need to be doing. A lost world needs to see church as family, and we're together. And we're honorable, not perfect. So that when they speak evil, they say, well, that's not my neighbor. And yeah, I've had a deacon do me wrong, or I had a pastor do me wrong, or a church member do me wrong. Guess what? That's going to happen, and we're going to fail each other. But what did you do with it afterwards? And that's not going to cut it with God, because God's going to ask the question, why are you not with your brothers and sisters? But we're talking about the lost, and we're talking about the fact of, ah, oh, I hear all this stuff about Christians, but 
my neighbor is a Christian and he actually cares about me. Let's start with that. And so that word slander, we, we need to live the opposite of evildoers to show not perfection but the gospel that it changes our lives. And so they see your good deeds not to be saved, but those things that are worthy and beautiful that you, you help them just like you would help anybody in the church and you help them just like you would help a physical family member because God loves them and God did not create junk and God loved them so much that He gave His Son to die for them and do good. Our good deeds show the goodness of God and show what is true in our life and point to God. Do you consider, uh, do you consider how the lost see you? And you think about that. Um, do, you, do you understand that, are they seeing you say one thing? Well, I believe that and I'm against it. But when you get away from church, how is James 1.22 working? Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We need to point people to Christ. So your next feeling here, we need to realize we don't pass through life unnoticed. Sinners are watching. Oh boy, they're watching close. When I was telling a group I was dealing with, and you know, I, I believe most of them are not believers, and I told them a, pa- a pastor, they're like, you're a pastor? Because you know, I, that's a positive. I'm not ashamed of being a pastor. I hadn't done anything wrong to him, but it made me sad when the person, like you guys have heard it, made me sad when the person said, you're the kindest Christian I've ever met. And there's nothing perfect about me. I'm a horrible person without Jesus. What is the lost world seeing? They're watching, and again, if they try to get on this hypocrite and this, this, this perfection thing, it's not about arguing with them, but hey, I'm a broken sinner saved by grace just trying to follow God. They're watching, and we need to pay attention. Why is it important in what they see? Go to the last part of verse 12. And that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of uh, visitation. That word glorify means magnify and honor God. To show Christ is valuable in our life and in theirs. That's why we follow God, to say, hey, (coughs) I'm not just following myself. I'm not just following my sinful desires. I believe that there is somebody honorable worth following, worth giving my life to. Is it important? Yes. Because uh, Isaiah 10.3 talks about the day of visitation. When Christ returns, we need to be ready and help others be ready. And this is what scares me about the last part of verse 12. And glorify God on the day of visitation. If they wait to glorify, let's go backwards. We want to lead the lost to Christ. Because if they wait to the day of visitation when he comes back, it's too late. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But those that have not accepted him as Savior and followed him as Lord are going to death, hell, and and damnation for eternity, separation from God, eternal punishment, and pain. Urgency. Awareness. This is what these two verses are talking about. We don't live right to be saved. We don't live right to stay saved. We live right because we are saved, and a lost world needs to see a difference. Man, all you got to do is look at the statistics in the last 20 years of Christians, and they're, they're, a consistent thing is the world is not noticing much difference than, with what they're doing and what Christians are doing. 
And we are salt that have lost our saltiness. Glorify God in the day of visitation. I would take that as that you follow God so that they, you point to God so that they get saved That on the day of visitation. They're glorifying God because they are saved. Because they saw it in you and you, and you led them to Christ. We need to be ready and help others to be ready. We pass through life honoring Christ so the lost, here's your last fill-in, see their need for Christ. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We need to abstain. We need to put away. We need to realize that sinners are watching and we need to help them. Our goal is that they see their need for Christ. If you don't need Christ, if you don't act like you're needing Christ, I, I, don't, know if you, uh, I don't know if you guys have figured it out, but I say it consistently. Every verse I quote to you, I learned because I needed it for something I was struggling with in my life. I didn't say it. I'm going to learn verses so I can show off. Who gives a rip potato chip? It was because I needed them. That song, I need thee every hour. A lot of us don't act like that. I need Jesus. I need him every day. I'm a man in need of a Savior because the older I get, the more comfortable I get with, I don't care, I'm getting older. You do what you want. Shut up, Smiley. You know, I don't know. I just made that part up. But, you know, here's the deal. I need God more in my life so I can act right and others can see Christ in me. So I got some questions for you. I go back to the fact of that picture of Brody. That I just saw him holding the sign that he made up, and I remembered his grandfather, and I thought, wow, he's learned to honor, and he's passing that on. And it's good to see him doing that. But more importantly, we have a sinful, dying world that needs to see us standing out honoring God. And let's just be honest. Christians are being hit a lot. And American Christians, we need to toughen up because of the fact that there are more Christians suffering for their faith in the world than any time in history. And just because people are speaking ill of us, we need to walk with God and we need to stand with God and we need to love the lost. And more importantly, we need to honor God with our lives. So the question I have for you before we have a time of invitation, today and during this season, are you in a tent or are you building a house? And what I'm saying is, are you passing through and realizing you're supposed to be different and that this world is not your home? And you're not just passing through, but you're realizing my mission is to represent Christ. If you need to readjust on that and say, God, forgive me for just trying to hold on to these things or forgive me for just passing through and ignoring people, help me to see. And then, ooh, pastor's getting personal. What about those fleshly lusts? We'll go over that Wednesday night. Are you putting them away? Oh, I can handle it. It doesn't bother anybody. No. That may be something you need to lay down today. And then how often are you? I'm not going to live in fear that the sinners are watching but you need to be aware that the lost are watching you. And then lastly, are you focused on helping them see Christ in your life? As we stand to our feet and have a time of invitation, are you passing through this life honoring Christ? If, if someone, if it was your funeral of the day, and I... I, I go to a few funerals as a minister, and at funerals people have different displays, and the displays a lot of times of things that the person enjoyed and the things that they did in their life, and none of that is bad. But say 
the spiritual display of your life, what would a lost world say is important in your life? That you honored Christ or you honored yourself? Whatever you need to do, this, this altar's open. Come and pray wherever you're at. If you need to make a decision to become a part of this, this body of Christ, you can do that. Or whatever you need to do today, you need to honor Christ in your decision. Lord, I pray, help us to follow you in all that we do. In your name, Jesus, amen.